0: You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of Claret and Blue podcast. Um, We're super excited today because, I don't want to embarrass the guy, but we've got a a bona fide, genuine Aston Villa legend joining us today. Gareth Barry, how are you, Gareth?
1: Hi, Matt. Uh, Very good, thank you. Uh, Nice to be speaking to you today.
0: So... Let's um, let's take you way back when. Let's start at the very beginning to when you um, when you first fell in love with, with football as a boy. Yeah. Um, can you remember how it came about? Is, you, is your dad is your dad a sporting guy?
1: Yeah, my my dad was a sort of a, a good footballer at his level back in the day. He was a, a Brighton schoolboy, um, and then I've got three older brothers as well. So it was sort of a you know, plenty of action in the garden. Uh, pestering the old man to to get out there every every day after work, and you know, sort of learning your, learning your trade in the garden as a young kid. So um, yeah, there's there's plenty of football going on in the uh, the Barry household.
0: So what what was that like then? With three older brothers, did you have to kind of prove yourself kind of physically as well? or...?
1: Yeah, I think as a younger sibling, um, it sort of holds you in good stead, doesn't it? It sort of uh, gets you ready for tougher battles because you're used to to them growing up. So I definitely feel that was um, a big part of... uh, sort of your learning curve as a young kid growing up. So yeah, thankful to the to the older bros too.
0: <laughs> you you realised that you had a love for it and a natural ability for it and you kind of you were pushing your dad to get you to join a team or, you know, was it with the other way around or
1: Yeah, it was just a love for football. Um speaking to my my mum, she would uh she would always tell me you, you wouldn't go anywhere without the football stuck under your arm, you know, whether you're in the, the garden, walking down the street in the swing park, you I always had a ball with me. So yeah, as a as a young kid, certainly in my era growing up, it was um, <laughs> any spare time you got the football out, had to kick around with your mates, and even if it's on your own, you're kicking it against the wall. So, they were memories of uh, me being a youngster, definitely. Remember, I went and played a, a, an age group up, so it must have been under eights, and I was, or under nines, and I was uh, as a year below, and. Um, Actually, remember the uh, the opposition complaining that I wasn't old enough to be playing. So that was my uh, first real game, if you like, and uh, had people complaining there. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure why they were complaining. I must have had a good game.
0: <laughs> so obviously, the first what well, I don't know three or four years, maybe more of your of your professional career. Played as a centre half. Played as a fullback. As a kid, was there a position that you kind of made your own when you were when you were first playing football?
1: Yeah, I was always a centre midfielder. Um, Now and again, I'd play on left left midfield as coming through like the district and county. And now and again for Brighton Hove Albion as a schoolboy, I'd I'd play left midfield. But uh, generally, I was centre midfielder. Um, That's where I I always felt comfortable as a as a a young kid. And you know, you want to be involved in the games as much as possible. And um, centre midfield was certainly where I felt more comfortable. um, Certainly growing up.
0: And what what age were you when kind of Brighton came knocking then?
1: Um, I was nine or 10. Uh, I remember um, I, as a, a scout in Hastings who actually you know, lived qu- quite close to where my family home was. He, he came down and sort of said, Would you like to go and train at Brighton? sort of it's once a week. So they had, they had a school of excellence, they used to call it back then. Uh, they had uh, half of the group from Sussex that lived in uh, sort of Hastings Way, uh, sort of East Sussex. They were training Eastbourne and the other the other side were training Brighton. So, yeah, once a week I'd go and train in Eastbourne. And then uh, if you were uh, getting selected, you're play, playing the games at the weekend. So, yeah, that was my first real experience of, you know, getting into the real football world.
0: Always struck me as a, a real level-headed bloke. Did your parents kind of just warn you, you know, to make sure that you're doing your kind of maths homework? And you, you, do you know what I mean? A safety net, really, or was everything, everything football? (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, no, they were, they were, um, they were quite keen on me to to still keep, keep the schoolwork ticking over. Uh, They could tell my main drive, even from 10 or 11, was desperate to play football. So they would have known that. But, yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't have been happy if I was slacking too much on the, on the schoolwork. but you know they they were fantastic I think for any any parent you know they deserve a lot of credit for young for young kids wanting to play football you know I think back now and the amount of time they've taken out from work and you know driving me around um, driving me around the whole country um you know takes a lot of time and effort from them. What
0: was it they did for a living Gareth
1: uh so my dad was a plumber. And uh, there were six of us in the Barry household, so the mum was a (laughs) full-time mum. So do you
0: think if if that left foot hadn't been quite as sweet, do you think you could be kind of sorting out
1: stopcocks and leaky taps (laughs) and stuff like that? (laughs) Well, I've I've got a story. Where where you do your work experience at at school, I was keen to, to go with my dad and have a week with him. Uh, you know, see what the plumbing was all about, and uh, I, th- I think I lasted about a day and a half. So I, th- I don't think the plumbing was ever going to be my thing, anyway. So the answers to the questions that are definite no. <laughs>
0: you know, you're you're a teenager still when, when you're with Brighton. How all of a sudden do you end up kind of moving, you know, a couple of hundred miles and, and ending up at Aston Villa? What what was the process that brought you to Villa?
1: Yeah, so there's, strangely enough, there was a um, Alfie Apps. He, he's quite a well known uh, sort of younger. A, a scout, and he came from just outside Hastings. And you know, Hastings generally is a sort of a tough part of the country to sort of get 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 out of there. And you know, especially in terms of football, he was working doing bits with uh, Brian Jones and Aston Villa. And you know, he was he was pushing for me to uh, to, to the to the Villa people that you know, there's a, a good young player down in uh, down in Hastings. You know, currently with Brighton. So it was him really the connection that uh, you know sort of brought. Aston Villa towards me. Um, you know, my, my game really, really improved from the ages of fi- fifteen to sixteen. Um, you know, I went from being at Brighton, sort of, you know, one of one of the better players, not not the best, one of the better players, to all of a sudden um Aston Villa were interested. And in the the last year at school, all of a sudden I had three or four London clubs too that were really keen for me to sign, uh, which was back then YTS form. So yeah i finished my GCSEs and I had all of a sudden had four or five, you know, professional clubs that you know wanted me to go and sign for them.
0: Can you remember who the clubs were and what what it was about Villa that gave them the edge?
1: Yeah, it was Chelsea, Arsenal, Crystal Palace. Um, obviously, had Brighton the option to stay there too. Um, but you know, I had a had a week sort of training up at uh, Bodymore Heath as a. It must have been in e- sort of an Easter half half or one of the half terms. I remember coming up with J. Lloyd Samuel we were uh we were in shared digs together for a week so I had a, I had a good feeling for the place straight away so looking back i think that week training there and getting to know the surroundings and the, the players that were around sort of you know, sort of really helped but yeah it was um it was it was a tough decision i think that my parents were quite uh heavy in the end in, in terms of what they felt they they didn't really fancy me going to london they they felt I might be wanting to come home every other weekend where I was, if I, I was 200 miles away, I had to stay there and concentrate on my football. So yeah, looking back, it was a, it was a great move for, for me. What's, um, what's
0: that like then? Cause I presume you hadn't spent a great deal of time away from home until, until no, that.
1: It was, it was very daunting. Um, I've not mentioned Michael Standing yet. He was, he was a Brighton kid with me at the time. And, uh, he, he was sort of one of the best players in England, uh, playing for England school boys, uh, him and Joe Cole were the, sort of the two main men in England and he had, he had the, probably the choice of the whole country of where he could have gone and played football and he, he ended up choosing Villa too so that that made that initial move so much easier that I knew someone quite well and I was, I was going straight into digs with them. So, you know, me and, me and Michael forged a, a great uh, sort of friendship living in, living in the digs in Sutton Coalfield for two years. It's interesting you mention um,
0: those digs because we've been able to get through our archives, our picture archives, and we found yeah. an absolutely
1: brilliant picture.
0: I'm not sure <laughs> I know you're the one us. I think. <laughs> There's that. I think that's, that's you, Michael. Who, who's, who's the guy in the middle, Gareth?
1: uh that's david burks he was um that was our second year so david was a year younger i knew the picture because I, I could never get away from that deodora <laughs> t-shirt i've got on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> tell us what it was like then was it did she become a kind of second mum in a way you know was it strict house rules or
1: yeah jill jones was her name and she's this was probably a 10th or 11th year so she she's seen a lot of uh players come through there you know Probably the majority don't go on and, and and make it Aston Villa. So she was very very experienced and sort of that house was was perfect for for for, for how you were how you wanted to um, you know live your life away from the training ground. And she, she did become that sort of mother motherly feeling around the house, looking after you, making sure you're eating right. And yeah, there, there were strict rules. I, I don't think we crossed the line too many times, but. Um, yeah, there were there were certainly rules in place, and if if you did, you were you were getting reported back to the the club pretty sharpish.
0: So while, while we, we've mentioned Michael, tell us a little bit about um, your kind of friendship with him down the years, because obviously he you now you know for the last I don't know decade or so, I think he's represented you as your kind of agent as well as well as your best mate. Was it was it strange when you kind of arrived? at the same time and all of a sudden you kind of went on to become this kind of Villa great and Michael's career didn't didn't work out as panned at Aston Villa. Was that, was that awkward or you're such good mates that you're able to support each other through the highs and lows? Or...
1: Yeah, I think there would have been awkward moments at times, uh, probably for both of us. It, it'd probably be, be easier for us to say, I'd have been more awkward for Michael, but I think there would have been sort of awkward moments at times because we've probably joined the club uh, as 16-year-olds. We've you know michael being the bigger talent and more expected of him um you know and, and, and football you know as as funny ways of, of, of giving different paths to players I, I seem to uh i think we both sort of done well really well initially um but you know my game training day in day out seemed to uh you know really improve and it, it didn't it didn't take long for I, I was knocking on the first team's door whereas you know michael he didn't he didn't seem to uh you know, he's probably not the, the, the biggest sort of you know, sort of physical specimen. He needed to grow. They kept saying, you need to grow, you need to get stronger. Whereas I sort of adapted to the men's game a bit quicker. So that held him back a, a, a tiny bit. Um, and looking back, Michael say himself, he probably left the club too early. He, he probably would have spent another year or two, he'd developed into a man a bit more. And, you know, he may have felt he'd have got another chance.
0: What was that like being at a football club? the size of Villa back then, kind of late 90s, was it still a case where... You'd have to do some of the kind of menial chores, and you'd have to clean boots and stuff like that. Was was it was that kind of ground still in existence then?
1: Yeah, it was. It was um, looking back, it was quite tough going. Just just to get to the uh, to Bodymore Heath back then, we we had to uh, walk from the Digs to the um, the train station, we'd get the train uh, to Witten or Aston, one of them, and then we'd have to walk to Villa Park, and then the mini bus from Villa Park to to Bodymore Heath. So you know, even before you got into the training ground, you've got a bit of a a bit of a slap, sort of an hour and a half. Sort of travel Um, yeah and the jobs were well in place you you got assigned with a job two of you and then you had two two of the professional players boots Um, so back then I was with Simon Grayson uh, Ricardo Skimeca they were my two uh, boots that I was cleaning uh, every day and and making sure you could see your face in them so yeah they were they were good times really and uh, when when the younger boys now say they don't have to clean them anymore I I think that stuff like that's a bit of a shame
0: so did they tip well?
1: <laughs> um yeah, they tipped all right. They tipped all right. It it, it wasn't wasn't too long before I, I was uh, in the team ahead of them, so they didn't, they weren't tipping then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a dressing room with a lot of kind of big names and big personalities weren't it, wasn't it that you you're going into. There'd have been the likes of I suppose Merson would have been around, Woody and um Dion Dublin and like like I said in Tyler, what was that like? Were you starstruck at all, or were you just did you back yourself? Did you get involved in the banter, or how was that kind of transition?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was again. I'm using the word daunting, but you, you know, I'm, I'm training with the first team uh, regularly. Probably towards the end of that first year, Um started traveling with them just to get some experience of being around the team. And uh, you know, I was I was comfortable uh, getting changed in the youth team dressing room and then training with the first team, and then going back there because. You know, uh, that, I knew that environment in the dressing room would have been uh, slightly different to what I was used to. So, so when the manager or whoever was told me, uh, time for you to get in the first-team dressing room, it was uh, it was very nerve-wracking. I must admit, you've mentioned some some big-name players we had around then, it was sort of Bosnich, Dwight York. Uh, Southgate, going in there, and uh, I was—I was a very quiet lad, as it was, and uh, it was a, there wasn't much being said. I was uh, more taking it in as I uh, was getting changed every day.
0: John Gregory was the man, wasn't he? Back then, um, yeah. I was going to actually skipped ahead a little bit here, but or uh, missed this out earlier. But do you remember what he said when there was the bit of the compensation wrangle with Brighton? Do you remember what he? Do you remember his quote? Yeah.
1: I've got a, uh, I've got the, the newspaper cutting somewhere, or my mum will have with me on the Brighton beach with a seagull on my head and a ball <laughs> under my arm. So I remember what he said. It was, it was quite clever. It was a typical sort of John Gregory uh, comment, um, but um, yeah, made a few headlines. <laughs>
0: what was it like being the subject of that though? Because, like you say, you're a quiet kind of, you're a quiet guy who doesn't really kind of you know, seek seek the spotlight, but you'd got this kind of little tug of war with Doug Ellis, you know, traditionally trying to go on squeeze every last penny and pound. John Gregory wasn't afraid to wear his hat, heart on his sleeve, and you were just probably wants to, you know, get your boots on and play football. Was it Was it a bit of a weird situation being in the middle of all that?
1: Yeah, it was, it was slightly weird because um, the, the tribunal thing and the compensation, it wasn't really known back then. and. It, you know, the the money they were talking about was sort of a lot of money. Um, Brighton were struggling, sort of in the now League Two. They were threatening to go out of um, out of the league. Um, so the money they were talking was huge for them. Um, but on Villa's side, they were thinking, you know, this isn't this isn't normal. Why should we be having to pay so much money for someone that's? Uh, not not played in the first team for Brighton or not even played for the youth team so it was um, it was strange but because it because it wasn't um, as a young kid you don't really understand it Also, it was easy for me and me and Michael Michael was involved in the compensation too we just got our head down and played football and uh, you know had a giggle about it but didn't pay too much notice to it all he was a great man manager John Gregory um, that was definitely one of his strengths he, he knew how to uh, treat uh, the individuals differently um, and as as you get more experienced you you realize that a good manager has to do that because you know we, we are all different all the players different personalities and you know he was fantastic at uh, what each player needed so you know i owe a lot for, to john because you know he showed a lot of faith in me at, at a young age to, to throw me in the first team not only just throw me in but you know keep me in for for a long period of time straight away
0: your debut i think came at the age of 17 uh if my research is correct, came on as a sub at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, yeah. By that stage, Gareth, had you already been kind of travelling as kind of, I don't know, as the, the extra man? Uh, were you used to kind of the matchday environment as a, as, a, as a Villa youth, if you like?
1: Yeah, I think uh, my first experience was actually under Brian Little when he was still there. He um, it was a, a, a fixture around Christmas. He just wanted me to travel down on the, uh, on the coach, um, you know, get get used to it. He let me warm up on the pitch with the lads. And uh, from there, I think I went I went home to um, spend the Christmas uh, with my family. That was the first year. So I was still 16 then. Um, but, you know, once I got to my 17th birthday, I signed professional forms, um, uh, started travelling with the team, yeah, and getting used to it. I'd been on the bench a couple of times. And, um, yeah, that Sheffield Wednesday game, I remember it well, um, you know, I don't remember much of the game because you're running around on sort of nervous, nervous energy. Um, come on, free and Taylor. We won the game, and you know, just delighted at the end of it to uh, to have made my debut. And um, you know, straight away you got the taste for it, and you just want more.
0: You never really looked back from that moment, did you? Because I think you know, come the next season, you were, if my memory serves you me correctly, you were pretty much a first team regular from from then on in. Was it just? Did it just feel? The natural place for you to be
1: yeah i think, I think there was uh, there was a bit of, of luck on along the way, if you like, um, you know, I actually made my debut in, in midfield um, and the week after. My 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 first start against Arsenal, I was starting the midfield as well. Hugo had got sent off at the Arsenal game, I think. If my memory's right. <laughs> it's a long time ago now, and I had to go back into the uh, into the back. So, um... and then the following season was a David Unsworth story. So things sort of went my way, but you know, in football, when when they sort of fall your way, you've still got to take the chance. And uh, it was it was sort of being ready for. For uh, for taking it,
0: I'm glad you have mentioned that because I forgot the the Unsworth thing. David Unsworth <laughs> yeah. and his family getting a bit of homesickness was one of those sliding door moments for you because that would have been his position, wouldn't it? That you made your own. Yes,
1: yeah, so there would have been doubts about a young kid sort of playing a, a full season uh, it, it, alongside Southgate and Ekyo. so obviously, you know, I, I knew that I, I, I'd sort of understood how the game was working already, and, and Unsworth had been signed to uh, probably play the majority of games and. You know, when um, when all oh, that palaver went on that is, he didn't realise Birmingham was so far away from Liverpool and stuff like that, um, you know, I didn't take much notice of it. But, you know, when he eventually left and signed for Everton, um, it was then talk who's going to play? Um, so then man, we still had plenty of options uh, that could have played there back then. The squad was squad was, a, was a good one. But, you know, John Gregory pro- probably fought a left-footed uh Let's let's throw him in, see see how he does at uh, at Goodison Park, and uh, yeah, I remember that first game well too. It was a it was a tough game, um, nil 0 draw, and certainly from that moment on, uh, I, I didn't look back because um, you know I'd, I'd made a steady start, and uh, the confidence just grew and grew after that.
0: Quiz question for you: Can you remember your first Villa goal and who it came against?
1: Um, yes, Nottingham Forest, two 0 was it?
0: It was, yeah. I can't, I can't
1: yeah. remember much about it. Talk, talk me through. Yeah. Was it was it down the whole tend or uh, no? It was the uh, the other end. It was. Yeah, I always get confused. I remember my second goal more against I think it was Charlton, but uh, yeah, it was a cross. A cross came in. I, I must have been playing midfield at this point because you know I wouldn't have been on the back post, and uh, you know I find myself in the, the middle of the eighteen yard box. I'm sure, Dave Besson's in goal. Um, I just get get across the defender and uh, managed to, to poke it home. So, yeah, I, f- I think that was my first goal. Anyway, <laughs> am I right?
0: <laughs> no, I think so. I think so. Yeah, Two yeah. Say I good. don't. Uh, for, you
1: know, years ago, been, are we talking?
0: Yeah, it's a while ago. Yeah, yeah, you know, you've never really kind of mastered your own kind of celebration. You? It's always been a kind of like a two hands <laughs> raised or a one hand point or something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah,
0: um, you've you, been understated.
1: I think so yeah I've I would never dreamt of making a celebration up <laughs> I don't think that's in my nature so uh Obviously, to score a goal, you you're having that buzz for 10, 15 seconds. So, um, yeah, it was it wasn't certainly a natural uh, natural thing that come my way. So, and there was a few goals over the years in the end. So, so maybe I should have made one up. <laughs> well, more penalties.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're the kind of bloke who does like the triple backflip, are you? Or the you know the punching punching the corner flag or anything like nah,
1: that. Or take the, the you're allowed to take the shirt off back then as well. So I wasn't. Uh, I don't think that was in my nature either. <laughs> You've burst
0: onto the scene. Uh, at a time when Aston Villa are a very good competitive team, you know, pushing yeah. for league titles, FA Cup finals. Um, I know that post-Villa you went on and kind of topped up your trophy cabinet. But was there any regrets from that time at Villa that Villa didn't make that extra kick to kind of win something in your early days there?
1: Yeah, that's that's um, my main regret when I talk about uh, my Villa career, really. Not, not just that era, because obviously the, the the best time were, was definitely at the beginning, uh, sort of late nineties, early two thousands. And then the, uh, the last three years under Martin O'Neill. Um, so yeah, that, that, that I'm, a, I'm new to the game. Um, you know, I find myself playing in FA cup finals find, you know, with, with top of the league at Christmas, uh, you know you're thinking this is going to be the norm we've got we've got a great uh, experienced team here we've got some young players coming through you know villa can be challenging but you know it just shows how how quickly football can change and uh, you know you, i had some uh, tougher years if you like uh, ahead of me
0: what's your memory of the the cup final gareth in 2000
1: i was on the back of a uh, sort of crazy sort of um crazy year really i was being talked about um getting in the England squad. Um, my confidence was really high. We'd, we'd beat Bolton in the uh, semi-final. And, you know, the manager chose me to take a penalty. At, 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 so this was the old Wembley, wasn't it? Um, so that's the, the faith John Gregory had in me. Um, yeah, I remember travelling down, thinking, well, this is what this is what you dream of as a child, uh, playing in the FA Cup final. Um at Wembley, um, you know, you, you can't really believe it's happening to you at such a young age. Um, we travelled down a couple of days before, stayed in a hotel. Um, John, John had us doing some sort of group bonding sessions, sort of learning to trust your teammates, if you like. And uh, yeah, it was just a shame that the uh, the game was a pretty dull affair if you look back. And um, unfortunately, we we were on the end of of a of one mistake, and it went went against us. So yeah, it was. Um, it would have been unbelievable to, to have um, lifted the FA Cup with Villa, but um, unfortunately it, it didn't happen.
0: Am I right in thinking that within a week of that cup final or a couple of weeks, you made your England debut?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was the end of the season. Um, I'm not sure if it was before the cup final or after. I think it was after, actually. There was, there was a couple of friendlies before before Kevin Keegan announced the, uh, the Euro 2000 squad. And... Um, yeah, we played Ukraine and uh, I was in the squad on the bench um, and uh, yeah, I was lucky enough to come on and uh, make my debut at 19 against Ukraine. So um, yeah, proud moment then. Another moment and if you hear lads speak about it when their first call up comes, you know, I fully understand where they're coming from, you know, your, your first day at school if you like, but you know, 10 times worse because you're coming in with some real big characters and fantastic players. and. Um, you know, looking back at that squad, Tony Adams, Alan Shearer, uh, David Seaman. You know, there was there was huge, huge names in in the squad, and uh, you know, I was luckily I had Gareth Southgate there with me back then, and uh, you know, he, he was he was big for me as a young kid around England as well as he was at Aston Villa.
0: You mentioned kind of both ends of your Villa career under John Gregory when Villa were flying under Martin O'Neill when Villa were trying to kind of challenge again. Just briefly, talk us through those kind of years in between. What what was it like under Graham Taylor? What what's your main memory of, of playing under Graham?
1: Well, initially, I think the, when John Gregory went, I'd, I'd I'd sort of fallen out of him. He was um, I, he dropped me from the team for sort of uh two two or three months. We'd we'd sort of had a, a disagreement. I think that was uh, the moment where he sort of told me I needed to get my shorts dirtier. I wasn't, you know. That's probably where the yellow card's come from, actually. <laughs> you know, you're he was, he was saying I was a fancy, not not fancy Dan, but, you know, trying to concentrate on playing with the ball too much from the fence rather than making tackles. So I was out of the team and, uh, you know, unfortunately for Johnny, ended up uh, leaving and, and Graham Taylor come in. And, you know, he, he, was, he was great for me personally because he, he sort of told me he had a lot of faith in me and I'd, I'd be back in the team before I knew it. And, you know, one or two games after his... After his reign, he, um, you know, he brought me back in the fold, and he was he was a he was a great man. If you like, it was just unfortunate that season that the the squad probably wasn't good enough to to uh, to finish any any higher than we did, and uh, it was it was uh, unfortunately a tough a tough year for the for the team and Graham.
0: Do you remember? Without wishing to kind of open up old wounds, do you remember the kind of obviously blues blues were back were back in the yeah. Premier League, weren't they? Back then, and there was the the old incoming at that place, and then there was Dion dropping the nuts on Robbie yeah. Savage back at Villa Park. What what was that like to be involved in? From you know, we saw it from the stands. What was it like to be in the heat of heat of the pitch?
1: Yeah, it was my first real experiences of uh, you know having lost the game and <laughs> not wanting to show my face, if you like, around around Birmingham. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are, are, are blue noses, and uh, obviously you, you get you get the messages before um and the, the, i just remember the atmosphere at st andrews that first game where the Enkelman incident happened it you know it was electric i probably never felt anything like it if you like you could you could feel the uh, the hatred if, between the fans it was a you know it was a red hot atmosphere and you know we probably we probably took them took, um, for granted if you like we we felt we were Raston Villa, the the premier league team that's uh, you know we are a premier league team you've just come up from the championship but you know Looking back then, they've they had a uh, a great battling squad that had experienced pros that knew how to win a game of football um, for Steve Bruce, and um, you know we unfortunately we came we came up short, and uh, yeah, it was a uh, horrible, sickening moments when you when you lose derby games.
0: Briefly onto onto the o- O'Leary reign again, it was probably you know there were good moments I think, but it wasn't yeah. it wasn't quite the Villa that we'd come to come to expect what what was it like what what was that era like for you
1: initially really good because uh, for the first time he he, he come in with uh, Roy Aiken and uh, Steve McGregor who was his fitness coach and you know first time I see football changing then it was um you no know, fitness fitness was going to be a big part of of this squad that he brought in you know we were doing runs during the season that were trying to get us fitter um and there was a sort of a professional sort of change if you like around Aston Villa because you know you you needed to be fit to, to, to be in that squad. You couldn't just rely on on your uh, ability if you like. And uh yeah, initially I really enjoyed playing under and we, we played some some great football. Um I think our first win against Birmingham came when David was was manager. So uh going back to that there was a, a sweet moment I think when Kevin Phillips scored. Um yeah, but Eventually um, we, we had a bad season under under David too, so like you said there was some there was some very good football in between uh, that the culture sort of started to change a little bit under David at the club and uh, yeah unfortunately uh, the last season didn't go too well.
0: You'll have to forgive my ignorance or my memory here, Gareth, but who was it who first made you villa captain?
1: Yeah, that was David O'Leary. I think it, it might it, it might have been his first first game. We went to Portsmouth. Uh, Portsmouth away first game of the season Um, so I was probably 23 Um, yeah he makes me captain Uh, we 2-0 down Uh, I think I win a penalty then score it then the adrenaline's high Um, five minutes later I've said something to the linesman. (laughs) I've got sent off so (laughs) it was um, yeah that was my first time as captain I think from the start of the game and uh, not not a, a great start to uh, to being a captain of a, of a football club, but again, a, a learning curve uh, for my future.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I didn't, I wasn't fishing for that. I didn't
1: realise. You knew. Would have been your first sending off as well, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it was. They were. Um, they just brought in uh, like real sort of strict rules protecting the referees and linesmen. And you know, adrenaline got the better of me, and I would probably uh, hold my hands up and say I shouldn't have said what I said to the linesman back then.
0: I think that times in your Villa career, I think, I hope I'm fair in saying, that you've kind of been one of the, the one of the outstanding players throughout the time. But there's been differences in the quality alongside you. And I think when O'Neill came in, there was the kind of there was the sense from the, the fans, at least, that we've got you know seven or eight or nine or ten or eleven good players who can achieve something is that is that the way it felt for you
1: yeah we we felt unbeatable at times uh, you know the, the way Martin sort of managed his teams he he had his sort of 11 12 13 players that he just really installed his belief in and uh, you know you, you go out against any team believing you could go and win um, you know you, you go through the team and you know they were top Premier League players that uh, as a team we were a uh, Real solid unit. Um, so yeah, uh, great games with great individual performances, but unfortunately, you know, we we were just falling short sometimes, and we were desperate to get one of those Champions League places. But it was sort of in an era where it was known as the Big Four, if you like, and you know, probably now we found a team to break in, but back then they were so strong. They had the Champions League money, and unfortunately, we couldn't. Couldn't quite, uh, couldn't quite break in. Coming very close certain seasons.
0: What was his style of management like? Because when we've spoken to other people who have played under Martin, it, we kind of get the sense that you're either really in with the in crowd, proper tight, or I don't know how to put it. But if you're a squad player, probably didn't get the love and attention and opportunities that, that you perhaps wanted. So you were in with the in crowd did yeah. he kind of make you feel re- really a big part of what what he was trying to do
1: yeah my yeah to talk about Martin style he just he just kept everything simple um uh there, there would have been there would have been frustration if you if if he didn't have a belief in you to be, to be in the starting 11 you probably felt you were you you were certainly uh, not part of his plans you know he had he had this thing before games it it pretty much if there was no injuries, all he, the lads knew it'd be same same team, same subs. He wouldn't even read the names out. You, we had a period where the uh, the lads weren't picking up injuries, and it would be the same same team, same subs every week. Um, so yeah, I could, I could feel the frustration from uh, players that weren't uh, getting a game as much. But you know, ultimately, you, you've got that shirt as a, as a player that are in the starting eleven. And, uh, you know, he 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 built so much faith and confidence into players. Um, you know, your Gabby's Ashley Young's. And, you know, you could see them thriving from from the uh, from the confidence that uh, Martin O'Neill was giving them, and you know they were taking their their games to incredible levels back then. So, what
0: would have been the standout moment during during that part of your career? The, the goal against
1: Ajax, or yeah, I think it's. Um, it's sort of sad that that atmosphere that night uh, European night Villa Parks you know you, you can't beat them um, which if I talk about a game a one-off to, to uh, score the winning goal in one of them games against a big club when I, when I look back at the team I ex had them so many big big names went on and had great careers um, but unfortunately <laughs> that leads on to the, uh, the end of that European sort of you know we didn't take a strong team into Moscow did we so it's um, that would be a standout moment, yeah. But obviously, sad when you look back that you know a great squad probably uh, gave up a chance of uh, of competing further in a in a great European competition.
0: With a bit of distance between then and now, what what's what's your take on that? Because as Villa fans, we're probably success starved compared to what we yeah. used to get in the eighties and nineties. It felt like a big defining moment that that Villa didn't kick on against in that that year's. UEFA Cup, but when I look back at it, I think the Moscow game was actually the last 32. It wasn't, you know, I think it's sometimes we reinvent it as a semi-final or, yes, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. sense amongst the players then that, that it was a missed opportunity.
1: At the time, I just, we were we, I can't exactly say where we were in the league, but we, I could only imagine we were flying in the, in the top four And I sort of understood his reasonings at the time because, you know, he wanted us fresh. We were winning. We were probably winning regularly. The confidence was high in the league. But certainly looking back now, um, I felt with the squad we had there, it was probably an opportunity missed because I've always felt, you know, teams should go for for trophies, whether it's the League Cup. Um, And, yeah, probably looking back now, I would... uh, would love to have seen a team go there capable of going through.
0: Without putting words in your mouth, was it kind of these time kind of things that made you think that perhaps if I do want to win trophies, if I do want silverware, I do want to finish my career with something tangible to show for it, I might have to leave Aston Villa? Is this when you kind of thought processes might have started to form like that
1: or...? Certainly, a lot, the the last uh, the last two years, it was sort of entering my head. Um, you know, I'm getting to my late twenties now. Um, I don't want to go through a career without winning a trophy. Um, obviously, it's my biggest regret. I didn't didn't do that Aston Villa. Um, so yeah, it would it would have started being sort of um, not just in my head, sort of people around me as well. Uh, you know, trying to get into my head, saying you know it might be time to. Uh, to leave and you got a better chances winning the trophy elsewhere. So um, yeah, it would have been the last two years at Villa where where it would start um, being fought about.
0: So okay, then talk us through this um, this News of the World interview. Then what what, what was the <laughs> thinking there? What's the thinking now? There?
1: there was there was sort of interest from Liverpool uh, in the press. Uh, Martin, I knew Neil knew about it. He was quite clever, really. I remember he put me up in front of the press. Um, this, these are the games that go on in football um i i didn't know what was coming um he put me up in front of the press um first question obviously um what are your thoughts on uh liverpool champions league um me never experienced sort of transfer thingy i've i've sort of said the right things as you would that you're um it's nice to be in spoke about et cetera et cetera being linked with the champions league team um that was it really so i go i go away finish finish the season. Um, and uh, you know there's there's bids now coming in from from Liverpool. I'm speaking to Martin O'Neill. I'm asking what other uh, club going to accept uh, accept an offer for me? And and to be fair to Martin, he said if the money's right, you, you can go, but it's got to be a certain amount. And uh, you know Liverpool couldn't afford what they were what Villa wanted, which for me, right, fair enough. If they can't afford it, if they can't afford me, then uh, I'm I'm gonna carry on playing but you know i got advised to um to uh do an interview which i was was told me if you if you do something like this um if you try and push rock the boat if you like uh, you, you'll end up getting yourself out so me i, I remember speaking to my parents saying uh, what do you think that, that um I will throw him under the bus My agent said he thinks I should do this interview here and uh I remember my parents saying no it doesn't doesn't sound good and I was like well he's experienced in this uh, in this role I've I've got I've got you you don't know what you're talking about uh obviously you should always listen to your parents yeah I ended up doing that that uh that interview which uh got me some uh, bad bad headlines if you like and uh definitely one uh, one thing I regret doing
0: it seems like a very on Gareth Barry thing for you to do is that fair
1: yeah i think so looking back now it was was definitely and you know you you look back and think oh why the hell did i do that but for me i was in a a transfer saga my first ever experience my my head's sort of frazzled if you like because i don't i don't deal with uh sort of all the media attention too well it's something i'd rather not have yeah it's it's one of those things you, you got advice to do it in the end you go okay let's just see what happens from it and uh (laughs) it all gets blown up and um yeah i remember being on holiday um with my family and uh the the phone rings (laughs) martin o'neill he's he's not too happy
0: (laughs) we've all been on the receiving end of of an unhappy martin o'neill phone call i can tell you but didn't you get you got fined i think you got stripped to the captaincy and i think we were banished to stay away from bodymore (laughs) for a couple of weeks as
1: well um yeah so the the phone call came through and um you know, i knew straight away what it was about but he to be fair to mine he just wanted to know if it was me that said all these things because he was probably finding it hard to believe that um that i'd said him. <laughs> he's thinking of these quotes from your agent and not you but you know i wasn't going to throw anyone under the bus says, look I've, I've said these uh i've said these things i said it's time for me to leave etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh that was it so i thought nothing of it and then uh I think i get a, a letter through the post um saying i've been fined two weeks wages um banned from uh all aston villa property for two weeks and uh yeah my return date so that was that was where i was left really in pre-season the next year what did you do during those two weeks i mean there was no netflix then i don't know what I are talking yeah, um, you know, I think it was one of those. I, I just went back, got my, my head straight. I'd I'd have trained on my own. All I needed to know is that, uh, I was going to be playing my football at Aston Villa next year. As soon as I knew that, my head was fine. Um, I'd done the two weeks pre-season on my own, went to training. I said, spoke to Martin O'Neill. He he was good. He says, look, give, do what, do what you do best playing football. As soon as, as, soon as he said that, uh, I was fine, and uh, I think that season I ended up probably playing my, uh, my best football for Aston Villa. So um, it, was, it was sort of uh, just just got on with it, if you like.
0: Was there a game? Was it Warsaw in pre-season where you got a bit of stick while it was all yeah. still a bit raw with the fans?
1: Yeah, I think there was um, there was possibly a few boos. Um, and you know, for someone who for someone, I always speak like I was I was so experienced in terms of football, but in terms of transfers, I was inexperience if you like so then there was still a learning curve getting getting buried <laughs> by my own fans um but no i remember uh, i remember taking a uh, touch out of the air and turning someone and playing a, a, a diagonal pass and uh, i could feel the claps coming back straight away so <laughs> i knew uh, get your head down give 100 percent, and I, I know football fans that, that that's all they want from their players so uh, I, I, it didn't bother me at all really
0: no, we're an easy, we're an easy bunch to win back over. And like you said, I think that final season kind of after, after the emotion and the rawness, I think I can't speak on behalf of all Villa fans, but certainly in, in my mind, with the professionalism and the performances you put in, you showed that you were fully committed to Aston Villa. Through that, through that final year, anyway.
1: Yeah, that was it. I think they appreciate the fact that you know they'd have seen other players sulk over the years. They've not got, they've not got their way. Uh, they've spat their dummy out. They're not going to perform. They're not going to give hundred percent. So that was, you know, that was never in my character, and that was never going to happen. Martin gave the captaincy to Martin Larson, which you know I fully understood. Um, but you know, it ended up Martin suffered an injury, and uh, you know, just showed Martin fought with me, he gave it, he gave it back to me, and. Um, as you say I ended up uh, in in my eyes playing some of the best football in my career that season the following
0: summer you, you did leave the club and it was Man City was that just was the Man City project sold um, as we now know Man City have gone on to a, a, a completely different kind of stratosphere but is that what kind of excited you and engaged you because people, people were thought, thinking oh we could understand you leaving to join Liverpool but when you when yeah. you left with Man City it was almost like a kind of dagger to the heart again I think <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, well Martin, I know he said, um, you know, give me a year and then you can leave for a certain fee. So, you know, that was all fine. I knew probably in my my heart that I was going to leave that that summer. Um, but yeah, the the whole Liverpool thing was it sort of hurt. It was it hurt me that they they couldn't stump up the money the season before. Um, and then a couple of phone calls with with Rafa where he was talking about me playing the odd game left midfield, the odd game left back. Um, you know, it started, my head started to change thinking, you know, this, this ain't, I'm not giving up sort of a villa captaincy playing regularly to, to go and do that, if you like. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't care if it's Champions League. I don't, I don't want to be a bit part of, of, of nothing. And then from nowhere, if you like, Man, Man City got, got in, uh, got in touch, started speaking about certain players they were on about, uh, signing, which even then was hard to believe, but, you know, they, they put, they put the names down in front of me, said they, would, they, they were definitely going for these. And, you know, they sort of painted the picture that, uh, you know, this is a fast train. Um, you know, if you don't get on it, you're going you're gonna to regret it. So, yeah, something appealed to me a bit more to Man, the, uh, to Man City than Liverpool at the time. And, uh, yeah, Liverpool had won the Champions League not so long ago. Man City hadn't won the trophy for many years. And, uh, you know, I just, I went with that, with that route rather than the other one.
0: So tell us about the letter that you sent because I think, I think you used to get on quite well with my, my, my former colleague Bill Howell. And I think yeah. you <laughs> got a letter. Um, you got a letter in the Birmingham Mail, didn't you? Um, yeah. just address the fans. What What was you thinking behind that?
1: Yeah, I just thought I just wanted to let them know, let them know uh, my thoughts really, and thank them for 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 the uh, for the, the previous twelve years. Um, you know, it wasn't a, an easy decision. Um, just, just, just to just to let them know, and you know, sort of put put the thing to bed. But um, you know, I think it went down well in some parts. But in football, these football fans they they don't want they don't want their I'm not going to say they don't want their best players leaving. And uh, you know, unfortunately, they uh, they they didn't. The majority probably didn't didn't take it too well at that, at that time.
0: I think, I think you've been a bit harsh there. I think it was a nice gesture and I think it was, was, was quite well well received, to be honest. The fact that you've gone, gone to that trouble to, to send it. Um, I won't dwell on that much more and I won't keep you a great deal longer because you've been brilliant with your time. Um, I was going to ask about that first return to Villa Park because, you know, I think it, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's football fans being football fans but there were kind of you know i think people printing off banknotes with your face on and all all that yeah. kind of thing by that stage gareth and having come through the booing at warsaw and emerged from the the side and having this in your character that you're a fairly laid-back kind of guy was that something you were able to just kind of roll with or did that kind of give you a little bit of a jolt given the service that you'd given villa
1: I know there was a, there wasn't a majority of people, and it only takes one photo, doesn't it, to paint a picture? Sometimes, um, but yeah, it obviously it does hurt. Um, but you, you know, on the other side of it, I took it, and that you know, it just shows what, you know, it for, it for it for it to hurt the club that much. It shows what they they fought me as well. So I didn't always put a negative spin on that. Um, so yeah, that that first game was definitely the toughest sort of I played in because you know my head was probably uh, thinking of other things rather than the game that day. And, uh, you, you know, no one likes to, to be getting criticised. But uh, that was my first time back. I'll think of the uh, the last time I played at, in front of the fans at, at Villa Park where, you know, playing for a rival team, West Brom, um, you know, we've won the game sort of 2-0. And, you know, when I've come off and, you know, to get a standing ovation from the fans, that's for me, which is what I'll... I'll leave in, in my head in terms of myself and Villa fans.
0: I think that's the that's the fitting send-off, really. It's probably yeah. the send-off that you, you know, I don't know whether testimonials are still a thing in this day and age, but it was probably the kind of testimonial moment, really. The te- te- I know it's only, you're playing in the, the colours of a rival and, you yeah. know, you give it a proper beat in that day, but it's kind of the moment that you deserved, I think. Um, just a, a couple more minutes, and then I'll let I'll let you get on with your day. Although you're in lockdown, so
1: not <laughs> too much else to do <laughs>
0: Just a couple of quick-fire things. Favorite goal that you scored for Villa?
1: I think it's the best goal I've scored in my career. It was my right foot against Spurs. We were one 0 down, and uh, the the the, the hard and Villa fans will remember it. I've cut in cut in a couple of players and uh, curled it around Paul Robinson. So I choose that one.
0: You can't score many with your right, can you?
1: Uh you'll be surprised. There'll be a few.
0: <laughs> we spoke to Lee Hendry probably a couple of months ago at the start of the first lockdown and asked him the question. And I won't I won't ask you the question of your of your paycheck every week of your career, but can you remember what you what, what your first paycheck was and what what you spent it on?
1: Um Well, I think that you sign your first professional contract at um uh, at 17 you are not allowed to uh, so by by now I've, I've I've been training at the club for seven months and you know I've done really well playing reserve team football so this was probably the first awkward moment with me and Michael standing he'd uh he'd signed a, a professional contract before we got there and I just signed the y, YTS terms so I'd I'd hit the ground running they, they offered me a, a contract and I come home to the digs and he says oh what what did they get and uh so I've told him uh 600 pounds and uh um, sixty thousand pounds signing on fee, and he's like, I said, is that good? What did you get? And <laughs> he pretty much said, I've doubled everything I've got, and I was like, Oh, that was the first awkward awkward moment with me and Michael. Um, but yeah, I was I would have been learning to drive. Uh, seventeen, so um. I think that money would have gone towards my first car, which would have been a, a Renault Megane. So, um, it'd have gone towards that.
0: <laughs> Again, without, without prying too much. Lee Henry was talking about back in the day, kind of Studi bakers and liberties and places like that. What, what, yeah. what would have been, what would have been your kind of hangout when you could have got away with it without the knowing?
1: Yeah. Well, we'll go into Lee. Uh, but in that dressing room, which we mentioned earlier, I, I I I leave uh, so much credit for for taking me under his wing, if you like, because you know being being in that dressing of all the uh, the older pros and the, the big names, he he was the one that really looked after me, and you know if anyone would come for me for a bit of stick, he'd, he'd have had my back, and uh, yeah, going back to your question of the the hideouts, um, you know it was Lee that showed me the ropes. You know I'd, I'd never been to a, to a nightclub in my life. Obviously wasn't wasn't old enough growing up in Hastings, and uh, Lee pretty much showed me. Uh, top to bottom uh, of Broad Street within a, within a few months. So I think <laughs> pretty much everywhere at, at any bar on Broad Street would have, have hit at some point. But Studie Bakers, looking back, would have been the uh, the place we'd have spent most of our time. Seemed to have a, a, a good few nights uh, over the years, there it's it's plenty different for a, for a young footballer now than it was back then. You could you could certainly get away with a lot more then.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. I think I think if my memory serves me correctly, Connor, Lee Hendry used to be the one who sneak his way onto the front pages, and you you'd be quite good at sneaking <laughs> staying under the radar and staying on the back
1: pages. Yeah, I, I sort of got that reputation of a. Uh, uh, you know, f- fading away sometimes when, when trouble was lurking, and, and unfortunately for Lee, which for me it was because he was a local lad, everyone were, wanted a little bit a bit of early, which was a, which was unfortunate. And uh, yeah, I'd uh, I put my cloak on and, and fade away into the background.
0: So without without wishing to to, to go on too much about that, what, what would your tipple have been back then and and now?
1: Oh, blooming hell! Um, so you—you'd been looking. We'd have been young, young kids then. We—we wouldn't we have had the uh, the mature taste of a lager. We would have been drinking oof, Smirnoff Ice, W.K.D. Uh, a little Moscow Mule like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I think we've slowly matured over the years, but that—that would have been my first memory of uh, any alcohol in a in a nightclub in Birmingham.
0: Tell me, you're not still drinking hooch and Smirnoff Ice now? <laughs> you, must, you must have matured your palate by now.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think I ever experienced the hooch, but yeah, no, there's certainly no uh, none of that in the, uh, the the fridge in in the kitchen at the moment. Just while
0: you're at Villa, Gareth, who, and you said Lee Hendry initially, but who would have been your kind of best mate or your mentor or your, your closest ally during, you know, you are probably there for over over a decade, twelve or thirteen years? Who would have who would you have been closest to throughout that time?
1: Definitely Lee Hendry. Um, you know, I've spoken about the way he sort of took me under his wing, and you know. Still really close to him, like now. But uh, in, until he left, we, we, you know, we were best mates of the club. So he would, he would definitely uh, have been my best mate on the pitch. You know, I'd probably have to give uh, Gareth Southgate the um, sort of mentoring role. Uh, a young boy thrown into a in, into Premier League. Football, you need good good players around you, and certainly Gareth Southgate playing just to the left of him for for the first couple of seasons, he was he was incredible to play alongside, and you know, pretty reassuring if you made mistakes. You know, he wouldn't be sort of the old style pro that would would get on you and you know, be wringing your neck. He would he would calm you down and just say you know, be ready, don't make that mistake again. He'd, he'd do it in the way that you know made made you feel comfortable, so he was he was perfect for a young for a young kid to be playing alongside back then.
0: Can I make an observation based on watching you for many years from the halt end and then from the the press box? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a footballer who is as calm in possession anywhere at any time. It's just almost as if kind of everything stops for you. And I've seen you kind of extricate your way out of there's been three or four people around you near the touchline and you've somehow – Emerge with a ball and stuff. You know, you've, you've spoken about nervous energy and, and adrenaline, but you seem to have this kind of way of just kind of flicking a switch and just kind of slowing slowing everything down. <laughs> Is that just
1: natural? Or I think it's got it's got to be a number of things, if you like. Um, it's got to be part of your, your personality. I'm quite quite a calm uh, person, um, but yeah, I've always sort of um, one of my strengths as as a, as a footballer was sort of taking. Taking early pictures on the pitch or, you know never switching off uh, you know just being being aware of your surrounding and who's around you and you, you've mentioned times where you can bring the ball down and that that comes with confidence as well you've got to be in a confident moment but yeah it's probably down to to my to my nature and 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 being able to to read the game you know it's been said to me many a times about my pace, so you, you know you, you try and make up for for uh you try and make up your other strengths to, to coincide with that, and uh, you know, reading the game was certainly something that uh, came natural to me.
0: Is there any time in life that you do lose your calm? You know, if the, if the pasta's boiling over or these, um, you know, there's a massive spider in the bath or anything like that.
1: Uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of plenty of stories in this house where I'm living now. They'll say I lose my calm. So <laughs> that's on the football pitch, you, you can relax a bit more.
0: <laughs> and another thing that's probably kind of followed you through your career, seem to have kind of clocked up. Lots and lots of yellow cards. Now, I know that comes with the amount of games that you've played, but lots of yellow cards without, without ever really being what I'd describe as a dirty player. Is that just, I don't know, what, 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 what is that just a victim of playing so often?
1: I, th- I think, the, yeah, the, the, obviously they'll come with the, the number of games uh, that i played. You, you obviously, you know, top-up numbers. But I think if you look at probably the first 50% of my uh, appearances – the the, the yellow cards will will be very low. I I just feel the the game changed. It got very quicker. Um, You know, as you know, now you can get a yellow card for for hardly anything. And uh, being in the area of the pitch, I am centre midfield, you know, stopping counter-attacks. You you, you just got to take one for the team now and again. And uh, it just... Just seem to be my way to to take one for the team more more often than not.
0: There's something uh something I wanted to ask you about, and it's a bit of a random moment. Um, but just do you remember your role as peacekeeper in the old um, Lee Bowyer, um, Kieran Dyer spat? Well, yeah. that must have been one of the most surreal afternoons of your career.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, obviously, that's like a, a mad Premier League moment that comes up all the time, and it will do forever. And um, yeah, so just. To, to, Talk about it from my point of view. Um, I think we were winning the game at, at the point, maybe one nil, um, but they were arguing while the game was going on for at least sort of forty-five seconds to a minute before. And uh, I am trying to concentrate on the game whilst sort of listening to these two. So I could feel it getting heated and heated, and some of the things some of the things being said to to uh, they were saying to each other wasn't wasn't sort of normal. when you can tell it was it was going to bubble over. So. Um, yeah, I'm trying to keep half an eye on the game whereas half an eye on these two and then all of a sudden they're they walking towards each other and I'm I'm thinking they're just gonna have a just gonna have a chat or a, a push. But then uh <laughs> the, the punches start getting thrown and you know, luckily I'm I'm close enough by to uh to try and break it up. So yeah, I, I find my, uh, my my myself in a lot of um pictures over the years <laughs> breaking that title up every time it's spoken about. So as a captain, you know, if-
0: Take us inside the dressing room. Are you somebody who has to kind of put an arm around people? Or do you have to have a rant and arrive? Do you collect the fines? Do you are you the shop steward? Are you all of those things? Or?
1: You have to step yourself up when you when you're asked to be a captain of a club. There's um, you seem to be doing every other interview. That's that's the first thing you'll be doing. Um, the fines, you're in charge of those. Uh, yeah, obviously, you're setting the, the right example around for, for, for every player, not just the younger players. Um, giving tickets out, that was probably one of my worst uh, <laughs> worst things, being captain. Uh, Gabby Agbon-Lahor won in 10 tickets every game, where we were only getting two each, was uh, one of my worst nightmares.
0: <laughs> it must have been super, super proud, though.
1: Yeah, was. I was. I was extremely proud of uh, captaining uh, Aston Villa. You, you know, I'd, I'd captain other teams when I had left but you know I was never an official club captain like I was at Aston Villa and uh, you know those those three years under Martin O'Neill was uh, were, was special in my career and, and possibly some of the best football i played.
0: Putting you on the spot here what's been the funniest moment or funniest prank that you've been part of or, or witnessed during your time at Villa?
1: It's the old favourite really when uh when a car gets removed from the um I think it was maybe Stefan Posma, Lee Hendry's uh he's in the shower Lee's managed to get hold of his car keys and uh, probably moved his car. Um, <laughs> moved his car onto the main road. Uh, everyone's gone home, and Stefan's uh, left at the training ground, not knowing where it is. So that that one strings to mind.
0: Some people react better to these things than others. Who you know was was the one who was kind of easy prey for these kind of things. It was kind of particularly Marty. Yeah. If you kind of wound
1: there's him up, there's definitely easy targets in the uh, dressing rooms, and <laughs> unfortunately, they're the ones that uh, took. Took uh, most of the stick, and obviously Stefan Pasmore was uh, was one of them. <laughs> what would be your kind of
0: absolute most memorable moment at Villa? Whether it's a good or a bad, it's it's a result, it's something bizarre that's happened. What what would the most vivid thing that stand stands out in your mind from your time at the club?
1: Uh, I think that Ajax game. Uh... You know, European nights, that's that's what the fans want want to be seeing. Um we we're playing in a great team against a great team and to uh to score the winning goal in that game was um was certainly a moment that that sticks with me.
0: Before before we leave you leave you to go on your way, what um what is it you're up to now here that you you're playing a bit of cricket, aren't you, for your local village team?
1: Yeah, so uh, obviously not at the moment with uh, the winter coming but through the summer, yeah, it's a it's a sport I used to love at school, and you know, didn't play for 20, 20 odd years. So, something I've started getting back into over the over the summer. So, yeah, looking forward to that starting again next next year. I was more of a bowler at school, but coming to the all the category now. <laughs> Are
0: you one of these blokes who's annoyingly good at everything in terms of
1: sport? Uh, no, terrible at tennis. Terrible at tennis.
0: <laughs> I saw I saw a clip of you. You've got a decent darts game, haven't you? I saw a clip of you playing uh, Everton.
1: Uh, yeah, I used to play a lot of uh, darts. Um, probably not a good sign, that, is it, being a pub game? But, um, yeah, I used to go to the pub with my dad a lot.
0: <laughs> so outside of cricket, Gareth, have you got coaching ambitions? I've seen you do a bit of punditry, or are you just kind of enjoying taking a step back and having family time for, for the foreseeable? Or, or what's the plan, I suppose, is, is a big yeah. old question.
1: At the minute, just certainly the, the dust is settling and uh, getting getting used to uh, my own time, Um coaching it's not jumping out of me at the minute i'd never say never because you know opportunities can arise and uh all of a sudden you, you can you can uh choose that road but yeah i'd say i'm more likely to to be doing more media than coaching but you, you never know but uh yeah certainly certainly letting the dust settle at the moment from retirement because it's uh it was a uh, it was a great twenty, twenty so years playing professional football. There's
0: been a bit of water under the bridge now. You've had a great career with Aston Villa. I think I'm right in saying that you're Villa's record Premier League appearance maker. And I'm not sure that's going to be broken anytime soon. Um what's what's your message for, for Villa fans?
1: <laughs> no, they they know I love Aston Villa. Um, uh, you know, you don't spend twelve years at a club uh and, and not care about something. And uh, you know, if I'm put on the spot and I have to choose uh one of my previous clubs and uh, Villa comes out on top.
0: Uh, brilliant. Listen, thank you so much for your, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I think I can speak on behalf of Villa fans that you're going to go down as, as one of the kind of greats. And the fact that you're a brilliant footballer and a thoroughly nice bloke as well, it's been brilliant to spend time in your company. Uh, nice. And yeah, good luck Good luck with lockdown. Have a great Christmas. And um, yeah, I hope 2021's uh, good for you and the family as well. Thanks for joining us, mate. No mate.
1: Matt. Great speaking to you. Thank you for listening to
0: Cloud and Blue an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa.